Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're going to talk about iPhone and passcode security. There was a new video from Joanna Stern. Really want to get into it. iMessage is coming to Windows PCs. Believe it or not, iOS 16.4 Beta 2 is out with some interesting features and stuff in the code. And the Mac Pro may finally be getting Apple Silicon after all. This episode is brought to you by Notion. Actually, very excited for that new sponsor because I've used Notion for a long time. And our friends at Collide. And joining me to discuss all about the clean energy charging initiative is Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, just a second, Stephen. I'm changing my device passcode back to alphanumeric. Oh, very good. Just do all zeros. It's fine. Yeah. Nobody will guess it. 11 zeros. They'll never know. 11 zeros. Yeah, I, we're going to get into that for sure in a moment. So real quick, some five-star reviews. This Dow from the USA, uh, he suggested I work up my listening speed uh, for podcasts. Maybe go to 1.25, then 1.5 for a month. I don't know. What, what is your uh, listening speed for podcasts again, Wes? Variable. Variable. <laughs> I use Overcast with smart speed, and I have the, right. the speed ticker set up to 1.1. So it's 1.1 plus like... 0.05 whenever there's silence in the podcast okay. it is not very fast yeah see now now william and i we, we really harped on if you don't listen at 1x you're not a human but i just want to clarify for everyone i do think it depends on who you're listening to and what the content is if it's this podcast it should be 1x and you should just savor every moment but no i'm just kidding yeah smart smart speed's really handy and a few apps have an app, something like this that removes the silences yes and i love that overcast tells you how many hours you've saved basically by having yes. smart speed on and it gets up to the thousands very quickly it's ridiculous yeah and when you look at that stat like i, t I totally get it and i will say i was listening to an audiobook the other day narrated by the author and the author was speaking very slowly and deliberately which is fine but I will say I did crank it up to 1.75x. And so I am like you all who listen at varying speeds as well. Sometimes I'm not below speeding up the talk. Anyway, just want to mention that. I might try some podcasts a little, a little faster. We'll see. But also M07H80. I don't know if that's like a minutes and hours thing, but from Great Britain. Thanks again for that five-star review. It looks like Moth 80, I think. Moth? <laughs> Moth 80. Is that a video, video game reference? No, it's just uh, if you read the numbers, some people do that. Oh. And before we jump into the news, I do want to mention, you guys should check out the Apple Insider Daily Show. Our friend uh, Charles is actually doing that now. He's recording it every day. Top headlines in just a few minutes. So check out Apple Insider Daily. That link is in this show notes, so you can go over there and subscribe. Or... If you're an Apple podcast, you know, it's part of our channel and iOS 16.4, you'll actually see channels separated out in your library. And that transition was seamless because speaking of iOS 16.4, beta 2 is out. Not a ton of changes in beta 2, although the Apple Books app now has a page turn animation. It has returned. And so if you miss that little like page curl with your little finger, that that skeuomorphic little design thing, you can uh, curl your page corners again. Did you ever do that? kind of play around with the page corner oh yeah it's definitely uh, uh like a fidget toy while you're sitting there reading the page <laughs> definitely start slowly turning it and seeing how how long you have to turn it before the words disappear that kind of thing yes yeah. it's a, i think it's a nice little touch again that's kind of that whimsy that uh, apple software can provide. leftover from way back in like pre ios 7 definitely a skeuomorphic oh, design yeah. hanging on by a thread i mean i think something should be skeuomorphic yeah there's nothing wrong with it the the death of skeuomorphism uh was w very over exaggerated when johnny ive took us to the flat right. design and i like the new design i definitely don't want to go oh, yeah. back to chalkboards and thread stitching in apps the reel to reel in the podcast app yeah like <laughs> we we can do away with that but it's, it's it's cool having some kinds of yeah. like whimsy for sure. I, re I remember the page curl first on the original iPad. I feel like when you got that, you know, obviously books and ebooks was a, a major selling factor. Skeuomorphism there was like a literal bookshelf. Like when you opened the books app and you can like see your books on a shelf. I will say, and I will link to it, our good friend, Basic Apple Guy, he actually had a recent article talking about Apple books and some of the whimsy or features that have been lost and how the app can be improved. So I'll link to that. But someone needs to make a HomeKit app that is all skeuomorphic design. So like <laughs> when you want to turn a light on, you have to flip a physical light switch in the app or uh, <laughs> open a set of blinds. You have to like turn a turn a hand crank in the app. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That'll be great. A little haptic feedback when you flick the switch. Yeah I'd, yeah, I'd be down for it. I'll try it. Also, and I just want to mention this because classical music is a, a passion of mine. The classical music app, its death may have been exaggerated even though it never has lived yet. But there's a snippet of code in the 16.4 beta 2 that mentions Apple Music Classical again. 
In the code, it states that the classical app can only be installed if Apple Music is also installed, which is a strange like little caveat. But just the fact that it's mentioned, it has sparkled hope in me again, and I am still hoping that we will get that standalone classical app. I, I expect this to work a lot like uh, Marvis and those other third-party apps that tap into Apple Music. It's literally just going to be a skin for Apple Music that dives into metadata better and right. shows it in a different way. I, I think that's all that this app is. It's not going to be its own database. It's not going to, like, sadly, no. I don't think it's even going to be its own algorithm. I kind of wish it was. I'd love to be able to listen to just classical music and then not get recommended classical music in the Apple Music app, but I think it's, mm. I think those are going to be very closely tied together. If, the, if Apple could give us one single toggle let us separate the two that'd be nice because then yeah. i could set up like alarm clocks and stuff with classical like that'd be fun but Ooh. still can't do that today without completely ruining my playlist <laughs> <laughs> right exactly i also want to mention speaking of itunes match and apple music this went around twitter and maybe mastodon too for a second this past week but itunes match is still a thing you can pay for i think it's 25 dollars a year Yes, I still pay for it. Yes, I understand I shouldn't have to pay for it because if you pay for the Apple Music subscription, you get iCloud Music Library included. And if you're on the Apple One Premiere Bundle, that is also included. There's no reason for me to keep paying for it. But, but here's the deal. I have a lot of tracks in there that I uploaded from my college and even high school days playing in band and jazz band. And those recordings... I don't think exist anywhere but in my Apple Music library, and so I am not chancing it. I'm paying $25 a year for the rest of my that's, life. That's your mistake. You need to download those things and archive them somewhere. I know. I know. I got to back them because up. Because you, yeah, yeah. you, one day you'll wake up and Apple will be like, it's gone. And oh, no. Yeah. I don't, oh, my god. Yeah, definitely go yeah. go fix that. But also, I, don't, I think a lot of people are confused about how all of this works. So just a quick recap iTunes match all it's doing it's in the word and I, I don't know why people are confused I saw people saying this on Twitter when I think one of the whoever you mentioned was talking about it yeah. it takes the tracks that you upload yes which could have been ripped from LimeWire torrents in 2006 right kazaa kazaa right like uh, <laughs> yes. a, a Napster right yes, with yes. like the lowest bitrate quality with a cat meowing in the background kind of quality <laughs> that's right and it matches it or it attempts to match it to content sold for money on iTunes, yes. proving that you own that track. And it's like, oh, well, actually, you own it or, you you know, you ripped this from a CD, right. whatever. And it actually deletes your original version and replaces it with an iTunes version. That's why a lot of people right. are confused. Like, where's my metadata? Where's all this hard work I put into putting the right album covers on it and stuff? It's like, right. well, it's because this algorithm that you trusted from like 2014 before algorithms got better <laughs> uh replace right. your collection of music with what it thought rep was represented by an itunes song and those you know steven singing in the shower tracks that you have mm -hmm. that's right those mm -hmm. aren't going to be matched with anything on itunes hopefully <laughs> no and no. those will be uploaded separately right. in like a database that you can access and sync via iCloud. So you're paying for those to continue existing. The, the tracks that have been replaced by iTunes Match are now integrated in your Apple Music library. There's nothing you have to do there. So if your entire iTunes Match library is just the Beatles white album, like yeah. stop paying that money. Yeah, and that, that I totally get that distinction. And so it's, it's just because I know I have tracks uploaded to the cloud, to the Apple iCloud Music library. And so... $25 a year is cheap enough to pay for peace of mind. So that, that's that's where I'm at. I don't have peace of mind. I'm worried for you. D download those tracks <laughs> I know, I gotta download them. and I know. put them somewhere. I don't care. I yeah, I will I will do that. That will be my commitment to you, to everyone. I'll, I'll back up my stuff. So on to the Mac Pro. Apple Vice President of Worldwide Product Marketing, Bob Borchers. He actually had an interview with India Today. And during the interview, now... All the headlines of this was like, Mac Pro is definitely coming. But I want to read the exact quote of what he told India today, and then we can actually parse to see if it is what it says. But he said, quote, we have a clear goal to transition fully to Apple Silicon. He said, we believe strongly that Apple Silicon can power and transform experiences from the MacBook Air all the way up to the Mac Studio. Interesting choice for the top of the line Mac. We've been very clear from the beginning that our goal is to take our entire product line to Apple Silicon, and that's something we intend to do. Now, you can take that quote, and it seems to imply that there is still some Mac that has not transitioned to Apple Silicon, and I think right now the only one left is the Mac Pro, and it would appear that he is implying 
that the Mac Pro will get transitioned to Apple Silicon, and that is their full intention. And it's not that the Mac Studio is the final form of the the Pro line Mac. I think it's interesting that he never said Mac Pro in these quotes. And so all the reading into the tea leaves is just because he's implying that there is still some computer to transition. But it seems like he's talking about the Mac Pro. Well, it's a it's a double negative. Yeah, he more or less like if you really look at it, he more or less confirmed it. What I mean by double double negative is is basically gave us something wrong he basically said intend to fully transition everything to apple silicon and it powers everything from macbook air to mac studio he deliberately leaves out mac pro because it doesn't have apple silicon right everything from uh, macbook air to mac studio has apple silicon in it so there's nothing left to transition there right um so by him saying that our goal is to to finish the transition is a very heavy implication and again it's no secret apple said out loud on stage that mac pro is coming with apple silicon that yeah it is it's not some uh, you know gotcha in this interview no like they've been saying it out loud very much this whole time it's just taken this long to get to where they want it to be because again what does a mac pro look like in a world where the mac studio exists and right how are they going to you know recoup all of these empty tower like stainless steel towers with holes in them when all they need is the space of like my hand to fit the entire motherboard so it's interesting to see how they're going to handle this um i hope we have some sort of expandability i hope that it gets to really prove out the mac pro name but you know we'll see you know for all the terms of cheese grater for the mac pro over the many years as you were saying what do they do with all these chassis uh, that they have laying around of the mac pro what if they made actual cheese graters they're not a, it's not a really good cheese grater did you not see the video of the guy actually trying to grate cheese with his mac oh, pro oh no i did not see yeah, that yeah there it's really bad at being a cheese grater okay so. never mind never mind i also will say i'm going to use this as the chapter art which i just saw recently on mastodon someone was like wait a minute there's artwork for every chapter listen listeners if you look at your podcast player as you listen to the apple insider podcast HomeKit insider you will see the images change every chapter that we move on. And so we have a special image just for you, handcrafted, artisanal chapter artwork. And so you should check it out. If you've listened in the car and you have CarPlay, I don't. But if you have CarPlay, the chapter art actually shows up on your screen as well. Well, what's even more fun is um, if you have an always-on display on your iPhone and you yeah. tap on the artwork and expand it to take up the whole screen, it's always there. there you go. And uh, it, it refreshes often enough that, as soon as the chapter updates, you'll see that new artwork. It's very handy. There you go. Oh, also, apparently it was iFixit who actually literally graded literal cheese on the 2019 Mac Pro. <laughs> so I will put that link in the show notes so you can enjoy that. But I also want to mention that what I'm going to use for the chapter art for this chapter, as we talked about the Mac Pro, is the compare Mac models at the bottom of like every Mac product page on Apple's website. There's a find the best Mac for you deal, and it shows the whole family of Macs, the MacBook Pro, the iMac, MacBook Air, Mac Mini, Mac Studio. <laughs> I just love how like a family photo where a relative was couldn't make the trip. The Mac Pro is nowhere to be seen in this little image. Speaking of uh, weird Apple products, I wanted to ask you a quick question here. Mm-hmm. Are you the kind of Apple nerd who would buy bespoke products that represent Apple gear that are not Apple gear? So like, say, buy a cheese grater that looks that has the same cutout and design as a Mac Pro. I mean, <laughs> maybe not, but I do have a pillow that uh, is literally a Mac Pro. Oh, I love those. Yeah, yeah, I have those pillows. That's pretty cool. I don't know. I like those little HomePod planners. Have you seen those? Yeah, I have one on my desk. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So we are those kinds of nerds. Right, right. We do buy that stuff. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, that, it's just a question. Like, uh, would you would you buy like an outdoor um, planter that looks like a Mac SE or something? I don't know. It's just. Yeah, I probably would. I, probably <laughs> would. I, w- I would do that. <laughs> right. Like, it's just it's just funny to me. Like, the, these these products do exist. They're, they're very fun. But um, I love it. I'm super excited today because we have a brand new sponsor, which is Notion. I have been using Notion for many years. I love Notion just for organizing my video projects, for organizing this podcast that you're listening to, lots of research and documents. I am part of the Notion nation, as it were. And now they've just launched an incredible new tool, which is Notion AI. It's artificial intelligence that works right in your Notion workspace. I've been using it for the last several weeks, and it is truly a game changer. Just to give you a couple examples, imagine if you had a podcast called Apple Insider and you wanted some episode title ideas covering the new iPhone camera. You can literally ask Notion AI 
give me 10 episode title ideas covering the iPhone camera. And it'll just give you 10 ideas right there. You can do it again and get 10 more ideas. You can get topic ideas, questions for interviews. You can turn a few tips about iPhone battery life into an entire blog post. Notion AI will do that for you. You just have to give it a couple bullet points and it'll write 500 words. It is truly an incredible tool. It helps you work faster, write better, and bigger. Doing tasks that normally take you hours, it'll do it in just seconds. You can use the power of Notion AI across all your notes and documents without the need to jump between your work and a separate AI power tool. Notion AI is designed to help you with your work right in the place where you're doing it, not a separate AI tool, which is just so convenient. You can even highlight text in a Notion document and then click the Ask AI button and you can do AI commands just on the selected text that you have in your document. It's incredible. Whatever you're working on, Notion AI lets you skip to the good part, save time and write faster by letting Notion AI handle the brainstorming first draft or turn your messy notes into something polished. Just tell Notion AI what to do, the more details the better, or you can just start from a prompt and go from there. That's also one of the things I love about Notion AI. It gives you lots of great starting points, so if you're not sure what prompts to write, it'll walk you through that initial process. Use Notion AI to improve writing, summarize pages, find action items, translate into any language, and more. It is truly a game changer. Now, for a limited time, you can try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com slash Apple Insider. That's N-O-T-I-O-N, notion.com slash Apple Insider, all lowercase. Try out the incredible power of Notion AI today for free. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. This is a limited time offer, so try Notion AI for free right now at notion.com slash Apple Insider. And trust me, once you try it, you cannot go back. Thanks so much to Notion for sponsoring this episode. All right, so I want to get into iPhone and passcode stuff. Joanna Stern, she had a video with the Wall Street Journal talking about iPhone passcodes and security. And it's really a compelling video. She interviewed uh, this one lady who she had her iPhone stolen. I think it was at like a bar situation. And they explained that thieves around the U.S. apparently are working in teams of two many times where one person is trying to catch someone entering their iPhone passcode and another thief, like once the passcode is then known and memorized by the thieves, the other thief will work to actually swipe the physical iPhone device. And if someone has a physical iPhone and the passcode for that iPhone, you're done. Like your Apple services are done because, and this is what maybe we can get into recommending Apple changes about this process. But if you have an iPhone and you have the passcode to that iPhone, you can go into the settings app, your iCloud settings, and you can change your iCloud account password that you use to log into iCloud. You can change it without knowing the current password. You can change it just by inputting your device passcode. So if you have the passcode, you can change the iCloud password. And then that means they can turn off Find My for that iPhone so the user can't track it, lock it, or wipe it. And once they've now turned off Find My, have the login for your iCloud. Any two-factor code will also be sent to that iPhone. They can remove every other Apple device that's associated with your iCloud account. You can do that in the settings app, iCloud. You could remove every device. And because they've changed your iCloud login password, you can't re-log into iCloud on any of those devices and you're stuck. You've lost access to your iCloud photo library, your iCloud keychain. Like you really can't do anything and Apple can't really help you either. And so Joanna Stern went through in the video talking about kind of best practices, like what you should do. Maybe don't have a single digit passcode, like all zeros or all sevens. Maybe do an alphanumeric passcode, which you can do by going into your settings, base ID and passcode, change your passcode. And passcode options is this little blue link that shows up when you're changing it. And you can choose four digit, don't do that, six digit, many digits, or you can do alphanumeric, which means letters, numbers, symbols, all that kind of stuff. And I would also recommend, you know, I have a family member who does not have a passcode on their iPhone and I shudder uh, every time I think about it. But I've also seen people in stadiums, in concerts, just out in the public, at an airport, they'll go to put in their passcode. A, it's very simple, like all sevens or all zeros. And two, they're not aware of how easy it is to see the passcode being inserted. Did you just say A then two? Oh, did I? You, yeah. you did. It's okay. I just wanted it's, to point it out. I'm doing alphanumeric points here, okay? There, alphanumeric there bullets, <laughs> okay? But that's one of the where I see people doing that, and I'm not I- implying that you should be super paranoid, 
but be aware of how obvious it is for someone to maybe see your passcode as you enter it. I see so many videos on like TikTok and Reels and stuff of like people zooming in to other people's text message conversations who are, are sitting like several rows ahead of them. And you could just clear as day, read the entire text message conversation. If you had a password on screen, someone could easily just read that. And so I think it was a compelling video and maybe Apple should do something to change this process of all you need is that single device passcode to really wipe out your account. But what did you think about this, Wes? Uh, this is an incredible story and the work they put in is great. Like I, I understand that this is a serious issue, but also I feel like a lot of these come up a lot. And this isn't just an Apple problem, by the way. This is Apple, Android. Anyone with a, a device that has a passcode on it has this issue, uh, especially like on Android. It's the same same deal. Once you're in, you're in. Right. There's right. so many things that have to go right for this to work out. And if you're an Apple Watch owner, this probably wouldn't work either because you'll get notified if your phone is taken more than five feet from you. So there's ways around this and fixes, and we'll talk about that. But I just wanted to point out before everyone you know freaks out and starts changing their passcodes and starts like hiding under tables in order to unlock their phone, you know, take a breath and realize that social engineering has always been a thing, whether it's your wallet, your keys, or now your phone, someone's always out to try and get something from you. That overly friendly person at the bar is usually out to get something. Um, they're usually very sketchy. They're usually very obvious. Uh, women are usually better at detecting that than men, but it is very, this is definitely a possibility. And I don't right. like that um, the option exists. I, I would ask that Apple have a toggle maybe that say, trust that I will never forget my stuff to the point that I need to use my device passcode or set my Apple ID, like just turn that option off. Yeah. Kind of like right now there's an option to reset your phone and erase everything if they do 10 failed passcode passcode attempts right o overall uh the danger definitely exists i, I i've definitely ups and bars with like two level seating and you could just be on the second floor like there's a band playing music and everyone's downstairs not paying attention to what's going on upstairs you could easily film people entering their passcodes like right. the social engineering here is very right obvious and you don't even have to do the whole ooh, let me take a selfie and uh like force them to reset their phone right in front of you this could very easily be done from far away right but the biggest thing you have to remember about a lot of thieves they, they don't just spontaneously decide that they're going to steal your phone they have to it's usually a planned out event they'll bought you target you try and get it away from you and so generally speaking you have to put yourself in a very vulnerable place in order for something like this to come up so just remember when you're out in public maybe stick to face id if for some reason your passcode prompt pumps up and yes even when you're drinking this might be hard to remember maybe don't enter it and like directly below a balcony <laughs> or right. go to the bathroom, something like that. So Joanna Stern also went on to say, because once they have your device, they've locked you out of everything. They also have access to your iCloud keychain, which if you've been saving your website logins, like for your credit cards, banks, or notably things like Venmo, Zelle, other money transferring services, Square Cash, then what they've done, and that's the lady that was interviewed in the video, they transferred thousands of dollars out of her accounts to their accounts, the thieves accounts. And now they've stolen not only your things like photos, which is, you know, almost one of the more precious things that people lose and wish they could still access, but they could also take thousands of dollars. And so one of the recommendations that I would make, yes, you know, don't use a single digit for your passcode. Do alphanumeric, even if you only use numbers for your passcode. I think one of the advantages is when you set an alphanumeric passcode on your device, you get the full keyboard to enter it rather than the big circles. And that's what I think one of the biggest challenges is when you just have the, your digits as a passcode, those numbers are really big. Like if you have an iPhone 14 plus or pro max, that's a huge screen. Those touch targets are really big. Each circle like highlights after you press it. And if you wanted to be discreet entering a passcode with those like huge nine or 10 number circles, like you would have to either hold it really close or kind of look weird. And I understand people don't want to feel awkward about it. And so that's why I would say, even if you don't want to do letters, numbers, and symbols, maybe use an alphanumeric passcode where you just have the full keyboard. Now, all your entries on your finger is going to be on the bottom half of the screen rather than the entire screen in these huge numbers. And you can be a little more discreet. And also, like you said, use face ID, use touch ID as much as possible. You know, most people do that naturally, but a few tips. Yeah. Alpha, alphanumeric. I agree. That should just be the default for everyone because um, numeric passcodes give people the opportunity to be lazy and use a birth date or something like that. Right. Once you add a single letter 
to anything, especially if it's uh, not you're not spelling out a, a full word, you've increased the complexity of the passcode beyond what a computer can guess. Mm. That's great for hacking, but as far as someone recording you entering your passcode, if they can see your keyboard, they, they can gain access to your phone. So I, I would say that uh, a few of the things you can do, uh, another thing is owning an Apple Watch, right? So you can set up a system where as soon as you're out of Bluetooth range of your phone, which is about 30 feet, um, you'll get pinged on your Apple Watch that your phone has been left behind. Unless the person takes the phone from you, enters your passcode, and disconnects you from your Apple Watch in front of you, yeah. you're, you should get alerted before they're able to get too far with your phone. Obviously, these kinds of thieves, they're probably looking to exit the bar, climb in a car and run. Right. I just want to emphasize the fact that it's important to be aware of these kinds of issues, but it just feels like it's not affecting tens of people, right? Not everyone on the planet. Right. And it, you know, the reason why I'm maybe a little more passionate about it is I have a close family member who fell into a phishing scam. Mm. And basically what happened was they tr they're trying to grow their social media accounts, this family member. And in doing so, they received a text message that says, we want to verify you on Instagram. In order to do that, just send us the six-digit code that we are going to text you and it'll start the process or whatever. It seemed legit. They didn't really think much of it. Didn't realize that the six-digit code that they were receiving was actually the two-factor code for their Google account. Right. And so as soon as the six-digit code came, they sent it to these phishing scammers. They had family members. Google login was able to get in there and from there can wreak so much havoc because- Yeah, this stuff's serious. It's serious. They can reset the password. But also what people don't realize is when you have other accounts where you use that email, like that same Gmail email address to log in- they can reset all those other passwords because they have access to your email. And so all those reset password options that just email you a link to reset your passwords, they will very quickly do that. And my family member lost access to their Facebook pages, their Instagram account, their Gmail account, like everything. I think the the way to think about this is, is it's just add it to the list of things that you have to be somewhat conscious about as like a, as an adult who is just aware of security. Like you're not going to walk around like remember when people would... <laughs> The advertisement for the the guy who um it was like social security insurance and they drive around with a their social security number on the side of a bus right <laughs> like and be like I'm safe from identity theft because I'm protected by this anyway it was not it was utter that nonsense <laughs> but like you you have to have some level of consciousness about what data is important and protect it right so we wouldn't walk around with our social security number printed on the back of our t-shirt and I, I was listening to the the very long three hour talk show uh with Marco Arment on talking to John Gruber about uh, this very issue and one of the things they brought up was you know in the 90s people still kind of do this today I, I don't see it very often i've seen it parodied in movies right. but uh, people would hunker over atm machines and like cover it with their hand trying to hide their you know four digit pen when they went to withdraw money and if people could just have half as much respect for their passcode when they're entering it in public right. um, i think they'd go go much further and again uh the military does this too um this is very much feels like a military thing where you'd go and sit in a training classroom and they would tell you that everyone's out to steal your phone and your passcode um and what not to do this feels kind of like that i think it's good to have the public facing presence of the world's on fire so that way it captures 1% of a person's of attention only so that maybe in the future yeah. when they're thinking of this, they remember, oh, so this is a danger that exists. I should protect myself because the people listening to this podcast probably have a pretty good understanding of how to protect themselves and their devices. I know that a lot of my family doesn't, and uh, especially like my nieces and nephews who are younger definitely don't have that awareness. And it, it's good to bring it up, be like, hey, did you know? It just, you have to take care in how you approach this conversation. You know, I made a video of this and my mom saw it and my mom was like, I want to change my passcode. I want to do the alphanumeric. And I was like, you know, Ma, you're not really in situations. Target demographic. Yeah, you're not the target demographic. You're not going to be in a place where you leave your phone sitting around. She uses Face ID. She has a six-digit passcode already. And I was like, you know what? I think you're okay. And so I think that's the, use discretion. Like as you talk to your family members and friends, I just think the biggest thing is if someone doesn't have a passcode at all on their phone, yeah. Encourage them to put a passcode on it. And if their passcode is all one number, ask them to change it. <laughs> that's that's a good question. What's the workflow 
it, go find your friend, your family members who doesn't have a passcode, and see if you can change their Apple ID password. Like, yeah, I guess if you don't have a pen, that you're then you're only going to be able to do it through the email or something. I don't know. I, I think I think you have to put in the current password and in order to change it if you don't have a passcode on your device. But I will che- I will check that out and follow up because yeah. That would, I mean, there's no way that you'd be able to change your iCloud password without doing it, putting anything in. Yeah, there, there'd be some other factor involved. And nine times out of ten, I mean, just think, think back and be aware going forward. How often have you had to enter your passcode? Right, like it, you, it just shouldn't be an option. Face ID should usually unlock your phone. Um, those of us with Apple Watches probably still have that thing on. I do, where you're, uh, if it detects part of your face but not your full face the apple watch will authenticate and bam you're unlocked anyway so you're still not entering a passcode someone's not going to be able to steal your phone and your watch it the whole crux of this is they need your passcode so even if they steal your unlocked iphone they still can't do anything they need the passcode so the number of times you're entering your passcode in public should be near zero and again the social engineering here of maybe they get a hold of your phone i don't know if this was part of the story or not but maybe they uh take a picture for you at at, at a bar like let me get a picture of your friends and they hit the reset the security reset by holding down both buttons volume and power to go in that mode where you're required to enter a passcode if you ever get handed your phone and it says enter your passcode then yeah maybe be a little bit sketchy about it and go and like turn your back and enter your passcode right like just have some self-awareness going forward that this is a phishing scheme just using as much energy as you do knowing that there's some emails and some text messages that are trying to fish your information that's that's all you don't need to go out and and uh just like be wary of every person you ever meet (laughs) right yeah for sure all right moving on to other news iMessage is apparently coming to Windows. Uh, I didn't even know that this was going to be possible, but there's actually an app that will be coming called PhoneLink, and you'll be able to download it on Windows and supposedly link your iPhone to a Windows PC and message your iMessage contacts, like send and receive iMessages. There's a bunch of limitations. For example, you won't be able to send photos and messages, do group chats. You won't see the entire message history like you won't like iCloud in messages like loading all the previous messages. You won't be able to do that. It will only display messages sent or received through the phone link. But I thought this was kind of fascinating. I'm not sure the exact process. Is it linking, you know, logging into your iCloud account or whatnot? But yeah, I didn't even know this was a thing that would be possible. This is a, this is one of those, again, the headline is not really telling the full story. Um, iMessage isn't coming to Windows. What is happening is when Windows computers will be able to have a Bluetooth signal from your nearby phone mm. and capture incoming messages of any kind. So it's not just iMessage, it's the messages app. So SMS will also be linked to this. And basically your phone, you've given it permission through some sort of API that Apple has because other apps like this exist on Android. Uh, Basically it'll capture that plain text and send it to the Windows computer as if it was a message. Because of this, it can't actually distinguish between iMessage and SMS because it's doing text capture and trying to limit bandwidth, it's only text, not images, right? So that's where that comes from. Your phone has to be nearby with Bluetooth turned on. It has to be connected via Bluetooth through the to the Windows computer. Basically, it's acting as a very dumb relay for text. That's it. And I guess this is kind of a similar, like if you were to get a smartwatch that's not an Apple Watch, like some Fitbits did this, like Fossil smartwatches, you could quote unquote see your text messages on the watch by connecting it via Bluetooth, but it would be like a very rudimentary, like plain text thing. So I could, I, I can guess I can kind of see through that Bluetooth connection, but I feel like this, I mean, how does this work with encryption? I mean, cause your iMessages are encrypted supposedly end to end. It works uh, with encryption, just like pen and paper does. If you look at your phone and write down every message that you have coming in, does that break encryption? <laughs> <laughs> now that is a philosophical uh, thought experiment that I yeah, we should uh, <laughs> we should pursue. The, the the answer is no, no, it doesn't break encryption. This again, this is you've you've explicitly given permission for the Bluetooth connection to pass these messages. End-to-end encryption encrypts the uh, messages in transit and at rest. But thing is, is you're giving the phone permission to access that that encrypted data, create a an unencrypted plain text file and share over Bluetooth. Again, this has you have to go through an explicit uh, handshake for this to work. Yeah, that it's yeah. it's very odd. And maybe, I guess, Apple might have helped Windows build this. Maybe they didn't. Maybe Windows went rogue and built this themselves <laughs> with an API. Maybe 
publicity of this will be like Apple will be like, uh, no, sorry, and just turn it off. Because again, right. we've seen other messaging apps. You might have seen messaging apps on Android and Windows before called like AirMessage or whatever that capture mm. um, iMessages and SMS and bring it to these other computers, again, through like the Bluetooth sync, right. literally the same system. And this is what you'd call a, a drastic workaround to get it to work. So <laughs> a hack yeah. in the true sense of the word. Yeah. So I, I guess it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I won't be doing that. I don't even have a Windows computer to try that on. Battery replacement costs will actually be going up for Apple devices. So Apple said effective March 1st, which you've already passed that date, out of warranty battery service fees will be increased by $20 for all iPhone models prior to the iPhone 14. So for instance, the iPhone 5, if you still have one of those and would like to replace the battery, it's now $69 instead of $49. There's also some battery replacement increases like across the iPad lineup and all that. You know, that you could be up in arms about this, but actually I will say, I think that these battery replacement costs are actually super reasonable, especially for out of warranty devices. If you have Apple Care Plus, battery replacements are covered within your Apple Care Plus term, whether it's two years or three years, sometimes on Macs. But if you want to replace the battery on an older device, Doing it directly through Apple is probably one of the more economical and easier ways to do it. iFixit sells battery kits for all kinds of devices, but doing it for a phone, I feel like is going to be much more of a headache, even if you're saving like a couple dozen dollars. People always forget that um, when you go through Apple for stuff like this, um, you're a bit more um, warranty like certified versus if you go to one of those kiosks in the mall and they accidentally break your back glass trying to get the battery out of your phone, <laughs> yeah, they're it. not going <laughs> to replace the back glass. They're like, oops, sorry, you signed a document saying that it was okay that we did this. And guess what? You did when you handed them the phone. So right. yeah, sorry, don't do not do that. Go through Apple, go through Best Buy, get this done. Uh, the, re the funny thing is, is um, a lot of people, I guess, don't mention uh, these battery prices has been the same other than that like program apple did for uh battery gate whatever happened oh right 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 <laughs> uh, but yeah when apple did the cheaper battery replacements that was for a program but pretty much outside of that these prices have remained the same for the better part of a decade uh, which is insane considering yeah. inflation alone but prices of lithium go up everything in, on the planet is using lithium these days it's expensive and the fact that they've waited till now to raise prices is a miracle and it's still cheap so yeah i wouldn't worry too much about this and again how often are you doing this once every few years if you never upgrade your phone the people listening right. to this podcast likely is not never going to need to do this so yeah i will say my dad had an iphone 10 for like four to five years and in the last year or two the only thing that was really bothering him was the battery life and so he replaced it and it wasn't that expensive. You know, it was like $50, $60 or whatever. It's a good deal. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Collide and they have some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How do they do it? Well, if a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, which is device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Well, Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and more importantly, 100% fleet compliance. So visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. That link is also in the show notes. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, so I want to talk about clean energy charging. You know, a topic has like bubbled to the surface of the tech discourse because MKBHD made like a short about it. And so clean energy charging was a feature that came with iOS 16.1, right, in, on October 24th. So it's been out for like four or five months already. Mm -hmm. Now, clean energy charging is different than optimized battery charging. Battery optimized charging has been out for a couple years. That was also a result of the battery gate issue. Apple, not only they, did they give us a new settings category called battery in the first place, let us see our battery usage charts, our battery health. It also gave us the option to right. prolong battery life by optimizing battery charging overnight. 
which basically your battery will charge at the fastest speed available given the connection it has 15 watts maybe if you have it plugged in to 80 percent and then it'll determine when you usually wake up especially you know it'll figure this out over time using algorithms and wait till it's almost time for you to wake up and do that last 20 percent slowly right. to preserve your battery life because one of the things that degrades battery health is if your device charges all the way up to 100 percent as fast as possible and then sits on the charger while it is at 100%, not significantly, but doing that over time, then you'll see your battery health slowly decrease. And so that optimized battery charging, like you said, holds it at 80% until it knows you're gonna wake up either by the alarm that you have set on your device or just through your routines every day, weekend, that kind of stuff. And then it will finish charging. I use optimized battery charging and my battery health actually on my 14 Pro is still at 100%. And that was another thing that kind of went around social media recently. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, still at 100%. And so I just, I leave it on, it's fine. Now, clean energy charging, different. I don't know if you want to explain the feature. Clean energy charging is basically piggybacking off of the algorithms used to buy optimized battery charging. It takes all that information. So this is um, location data, not shared with Apple. It's all, this is all this algorithm is local to the device. So don't worry about privacy issues. Right. L location data, basically your significant locations. If you've heard that term before, yep. that's the thing where you can go deep into settings and see a map of everywhere you've been and everyone freaks out about it every five years or so. Yeah. So significant locations, it learns like where you work, where you sleep, where you spend literally multiple hours a day, not, oh, you just went through the McDonald's drive-thru. That's not a significant location. Right, right. Um, so it uses <laughs> locations, like significant locations partnered with um, when you plug in your phone regularly, how long it's usually plugged in for at that location, all of this data to determine when you're most likely to charge it for multiple hours at a time for, to 100% or whatever. Because all of that was actually the optimized battery charging data. Clean energy charging has another layer on top of optimized charging's data, which it takes the data from local carbon emission forecasts, which are basically an energy forecast for your region based on the energy production of, a, of your local facilities. So if you're in a, a oil or coal town, uh, you're going to burn coal or whatever to produce energy, which goes through your power plants and eventually makes it to your outlets to power your home is also coupled with information about right like uh clean energy energy resources in your town like a, our town has a hydroelectric dam that it runs every now and then there's information available i actually couldn't find it i don't know if it's public data um App, apple might have a specific channel they're going through like an api draw kind of like weather to access this information but uh, there's information available that, that says this is the carbon emissions, like basically how much we're going to pollute the atmosphere for a given day during these hours. And that forecast can be for, you know, the next few days or whatever. And on average, you can determine when is the most pollution going to occur. You get home, you're going to bed, you plug in your phone. Your phone then looks at the forecast and says, okay, I know that this person's going to bed and that I have about eight hours to charge this phone, but from about, for whatever reason, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., the local chemical plant does crazy stuff with their electricity and really draws a lot of power and causes a lot more pollution. So the pollution um, output for those couple of hours is actually really terrible. I don't want to add to that. So what it does is it charges the phone up to the point when the um, heavy pollution time starts, suspends charging completely mm -hmm. until it knows either one of two things is going to happen. A, it's out of time. It needs to get the phone to 100% before you wake up. So regardless, it'll turn back on and charge your phone or B, the pollution gets down to a, a, a level of average cleanliness overall, basically saying, all right, now 5 a.m., perfect time, let's start charging again. Uh, I'm not going to be affecting the carbon emission so much, right, or right. causing so much, and then get your phone to 100%. Regardless, all these algorithms are working together to ensure that before you wake up and get out of bed, it's like nothing happened. Your phone is at 100%, right. it's fully charged, but net positive, you haven't cause as much of a carbon footprint as you would have otherwise. And a majority of the issues that people had is the conjecture that somehow this new feature was causing their iPhone to charge slower anytime they plugged it in anywhere. But basically what was being shared around the internet was that this was going to cause your phone to charge slower. It was punishing people for not having right. clean energy available in their town. It was somehow, yeah, again, like every time you plugged in your phone, this was just going into effect and affecting how the phone charged. And none of those things were true. Oh, and the other thing is people may wonder 
why, like, does this even matter? Like how much energy is my iPhone pulling on the grid for this to have any effect on clean energy? And Apple is in a unique position where a small change that gets pushed to all of their devices can actually make a significant difference. To put it in perspective, the latest data is in since early 2023, earlier this year, there's more than 1.5 billion active iPhone users. So that's like one seventh, one eighth of the entire globe. Yeah. By the way, for now, this feature is US only. Right. It's US only. But again, like for the scale, like the vision to have this worldwide and pushed everywhere, that very, very tiny difference means a lot. You kind of saw this with AirTag also. You know, so many companies like Tile tried to do location tracking with these little devices. The fact that everyone would hopefully have one, that was the ideal. And then all of a sudden you have this global network of location. You can find your luggage or bags or whatever, but it never took off because you need this critical mass of users for it to actually be a ubiquitous form of tracking your devices. So Tile just never really succeeded like it could have. What happens when Apple does it? They make AirTag and now all of a sudden there's hundreds of stories about baggage being tracked through airports and supposedly nefarious things, but also like just the fact that Apple can achieve a critical mass almost immediately after a product launches like AirTag shows the kind of influence they can have on a global scale. So the United States and Japan are very heavily iPhone users, and then it kind of goes from there. It's mostly Android for the rest of the world. Yeah, so iPhone users are heavily concentrated in the United States. So this is definitely going to have an effect here. This is going to roll out elsewhere. There's probably some sort of legal stuff that they need to work out to make sure that they're not going to somehow get sued by somebody, <laughs> right? Because the, right. the United States doesn't have as many laws about this kind of stuff, but like the EU might not like that Apple turned on by default uh, an energy controlling feature in the iPhone. Again, fully benevolent reasons. Like they're not somehow like, I don't know, working with electric companies to increase how much things cost. I don't know. But every iPhone in the United States that is on 16.1 or later will no longer charge during high emission times. That means however much pollution is just removed from the atmosphere during that time. It does make a difference even if it's small i mean uh, i guarantee you apple will release in their next um like report uh, their next uh, green energy report that they saved so much from this feature yeah and this this could come to macbook ipad everything and so we have a great article really going into depth it's link is in the show notes if you want to read more about it and just to help you combat if someone's like my phone is charging slower and because apple did something like This information will hopefully help you combat those kind of ideas if you run into them. I called it a self-induced placebo. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My phone's charging slower. It must be this. It's it's not that. I promise. No, it's not that. All right. Two things just here at the end. I wanted to mention a new report from The Information revealed that Apple hired Lauren Fry, who's an advertising executive for TV and digital video, and she has supposedly joined the Apple TV Plus team. I think this is an indication that we will see an advertising tier on Apple TV+. Plus. I just want to throw that prediction out there because I think it is going to happen in the next couple of years where the $5 current tier will probably become an ad-supported tier and there'll probably be an $8 or $10 tier for Apple TV Plus content that will be ad-free. I'm sure that within the like Apple One subscription models, that might change. Like if you have Apple One Premiere, you'll get the ad-free, but if you have Apple One, like the base level, maybe you'll have ads. But I think that's what this means. Well, it's seven dollars now, Steve. Oh, it's seven. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, they they increased it by a couple dollars. But I do want to um, mention: Did you watch um, an MLS game this past weekend? I did not. I know it, was, it like popped up three or four times on my phone every time I opened the TV app. It that just was like slid up. Really <laughs> aggressive. It uh, was very aggressive. Yeah. Obviously, like yeah, not not fun. Wouldn't have cared, but for whatever reason, the first game of the season and the first game of Apple's broadcast MLS stream was Nashville sport, like their, their club versus uh, New York city. And I was like, Hmm, that's like my local team. Right. So I went and watched it and it was uh, quite good. The broadcast was good. The commentators were good. I don't care anything about soccer. And I was invested in this game. Like it was fun to watch. Hmm. I love the fact that their jerseys were um, Johnny cash, black, all black and uh, had the Apple TV logo on the sleeve. That was very slick. Uh I almost clicked by on, one online but it was 170 dollars, and i saw oh my goodness (laughs) authentic jerseys are expensive um yeah i said no thanks i'll wait for it to show up at target as a t-shirt yeah so it was it was it was just a good experience i will say compared to mlb this was very clearly an apple production 1080p instead of 4k so definitely a difference in quality it didn't matter Uh, it, it, it looked great and the commercials and advertisements 
much better. Just cars, okay. Apple TV Plus. They advertise soccer itself a lot. Um, no gambling whatsoever, and no no gambling bits okay. in the in the in the games or anything like that. So if you at all care about sports, give this a give this a look. It's it's pretty good. That's pretty cool. All right, and real quickly, we had an article just about a third party utility for the Mac that lets you quit all your Mac apps at once. It's called the Bunch app. But also in our article, and I wanted to mention, you can do this with shortcuts on the Mac now. I actually hadn't really thought about using this step in some of my shortcuts, but I do have some automations. Well, that's not an automation because that's not available on the Mac yet. <laughs> but I do have some shortcuts when I'm getting ready to record a podcast where we'll open certain websites where we record. It will uh, you know, turn on some smart home things like lights if I'm doing a video podcast like HomeKit Insider. But you can actually add a step in the shortcuts on your Mac where you can quit one app or multiple apps or quit all your apps. Be careful using that command because it'll quit everything from like apps running in the background, like Audio Hijack, and also like ones that have windows open on screen. But you can use that shortcut step to quit certain apps. Like I'm going to do it for Final Cut, Compressor, and some of the other more processor intensive apps just to make sure that they are quitted or have been quit when I record in a shortcut thing. So I'll put a link to our article, but Nice little shortcut step there. I have an app from Setup called Quit All that does this. Oh, okay. Quit All. There you go. A lot, of, Lots of useful utilities as part of Setup as well. And just finally, I wanted to mention, we can't go too in-depth about it, but Mark Gurman in his Power On newsletter from Bloomberg, he talked about Apple's Exploratory Design Group. Basically, the acronym was XDG, and this is a team inside Apple that Gurman says mostly engineers and academic types similar to Alphabet's, which is Google's moonshot team. And rather than actually working on current products, their job is really to suss out whether an initiative is even feasible. And this is the group, Exploratory Design Group, that is working on the blood glucose sensor that could potentially be in an Apple Watch one day. And so this team is strictly just working on, again, these kind of moonshots, to use Google's term, ideas on products, features, things like that. And their job is just to see if this idea is feasible. Can this happen in the real world? Is this even possible? Or is trying to pursue this a waste of time? And so just fascinating, like expose, I'll put a link to our article where we kind of explain it in the show notes. This is where foldables are. This is where fabled uh, next generation airport router is, right? Like there's, this is the kind of, this is the kind of place where all of those weird little things happen. And yeah, it's a smaller team of what, a couple hundred people versus thousands that are working on Apple car. Right. So right, exactly. it's definitely interesting to consider that even amongst all the secrecy at Apple, there's an even more secret like chamber, like the chamber of secrets beneath um, <laughs> Apple park per se. But uh, yes. I like the idea, but um, if anyone ever even hints that they've ever seen anything from in there, I, I would just color, color me doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a, you have Moria where they do some experimentation. Then you have the bridge of Casa Doom, mm. which is, even lower into the terror. Now yours was probably better. Awful. It's all it's all it's <laughs> all bad like, all the way down. <laughs> it's bad all the way down. So we have links to everything in the show notes. Uh, let us know what you'd like to hear on the show. You can support the show either directly in Apple Podcasts or Patreon. Everything you need is in the show notes. Links to uh, the Mac Pro being used as a cheese grater as well. And don't forget, check out that custom chapter artwork throughout the show as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Now I'm mad because I forgot to mention the um, clean energy notifies you when it does do the thing. Oh, that yeah. is such a that is such a complicated thing to describe out loud. <laughs> I'll put that little line that you're sorry you forgot to say that. I'll put that at the very end after the uh, outro music, so people will stick around and they can hear you say that at the very end. <laughs>